So I got two weeks here, and rather than going back into Mark 13, I decided we'd, we'd take advantage of the new year and do something a bit more, more topical, but more, more challenging on us, just in terms of what, um, what God would have for us in 2013. How might we live? And, and, and I think it is in the spirit of the new year, of, of New Year's resolutions. You know, I, I googled uh, top 10 New Year's resolutions. And uh, lots of sites, you know, normally get like a million hits, you know, and I'm not sure how many exactly fit that scenario. But I just started clicking and I saw top 10 here, top 10 here, top 10 here, top 10 here. And so what I did was I kind of compiled them together. And uh, this is very unscientific like, okay, but I've got top 10 most popular resolutions. And we're going to play a little game of Family Feud here. All right. So, um, 100 people surveyed, top 10 answers are on the board. We don't have it on the board. But just, just if you think about New Year's resolutions, what do you think some of my 10 might be? Who, who, wants, to, who wants to venture a guess? Okay, Philip, what's your guess? Lose weight. Yep, ding, 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 first on the list. We Americans want to lose weight, all right? Second, okay, what? Learn an instrument. Um, you know, learn something new is on the list as well. Very good. All right. Um, who else wants to venture a guess? Yes, go ahead, Chris. Exercise. Yep, that's number two on my list. Good. Hey, what else? Want some? Give it a try. Yes, Lynn. Stop smoking. That's number three. Do you guys have this list? I mean, it is. It is right there. Okay. Uh, anyone else? We got four of them. Yes, KB. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a children's resolution. That's great. That's like a Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes resolution. That's really good. Okay, Stephanie, what's yours? No school. Yet another child's resolution. No. Yes, Karen, what were you going to say? Save money. money. Yep, I've got one that says get out of debt. So get out of debt, save money. That's all, all there. All right. Others. Yes, Ryan. Travel. You know, that was on some lists. It wasn't, didn't kind of make mine, but that was on some lists. Good. Anyone else want to venture a guess here? Uh, Chris, you already had a guess, right? Someone else who hasn't had a guess. Yeah, Virginia. Spend more time with family. Yep, yep, that's right there. That was there. There's like eight on my list. Yes. Wing it and see what happens. That's what most of us do anyway. <laughs> Let's go. Yes, Paul, and back. Attend church. You know, I saw that on some. Uh, I didn't put it on my list, though. That was there. Darcy, you had one? Okay, memorize the book of the Bible. That's it's not for me. Um, so we got we got a couple more. Anyone want to try to guess? Get a new job. Yeah, I saw that on some. Um, that's not here though. Here, let me just share the other ones. One is to eat healthier. So that's kind of combined with lose weight, but to eat in a better way rather than than junk things. Let's see what else. Quit drinking. It's another one that was there. And help people. So volunteer and and serve and. You know, it's amazing is these resolutions, you guessed them what they were. Everybody is making all these resolutions. But as you all know, resolutions are quickly broken, right? Uh, Laura Dre is here. I emailed her yesterday and and just asked her about her observance about things at the YMCA. She works at the YMCA. And and I remember her telling me about how, you know what happens at the YMCA in January? (laughs) It's like flooded with people. And uh, she told me that... um, uh, a lot of times the, the new training classes are just uh, are just filled and packed and uh, just yeah, everyone's put on a few holiday pounds. Everyone knows what they, they just wung it, you know, just kind of relax and wing it. They, they winged it all year long. And then finally it comes to January one. They say, OK, I'm 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 going to do it um, and we're, we're going to do it. In fact, how many of you have a have kind of a pledge yourself that I'm going to start January one working out? I, I know I know Lynn, we we're talking to her. She did already. And. I know I do, just kind of fresh vigor, I, I want to do this well. But Laura said that by February, things die down. Things are back to business. And in fact, you guys don't know this, but she said like the regulars who are there like all the time, like there in January and August or June and August and September, they all laugh at everybody else. They all laugh at us who go to the Y only for a few days, only for a few months and a few days, a few weeks, whatever, and, and fall down. Um, but everybody, I mean, resolutions are like made to be broken, right? And uh, this morning, I'm not interested in persuading you to take a, a bunch of New Year's resolutions 
spiritual resolutions only to have them be broken by February. Um, that's not that's not my desire. But I would say this, though, with the new year, oftentimes comes an opportunity for turning and comes an opportunity to say, OK, what what's my life going to be like in 2013? And uh, so, so I thought about my life. Um, I thought about uh, Robert Murray McShane. He was a pastor in Scotland, um, 1800s. Uh, he passed away when he was 29. Uh, a young man, but a very godly man. And in those few years, he made a, a profound impact, not only in his generation, but upon future generations and even generations to us today. And um, one of the things that I, I remember him saying, he said this as a pastor, he said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. That's what he said. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. And, and obviously what he's talking about when he talks about my people, he's talking about um, the church. He's saying that his own personal walk with the Lord is the greatest thing that he could do for the well-being of, of the church. And, and I, I agree with that. I think as a pastor of Rock Valley Bible Church, the the greatest thing that I can do for you all is to live a life of personal holiness, of affection towards the Lord, where, where my communion with the Lord is true and genuine, where my love for the Lord abounds, and where my labor for Christ comes out of the power that He gives rather than out of my own strength. That will do more good to the body of Rock Valley Bible Church than anything else that I can do. Now, you don't hear that in church growth methodologies and people that says the pastor needs to be this type of personality or have this great vision here or have this great plans here or have this great ability. But uh, I do think that that might get a lot of people. It might get a lot of things done. But really, for the greatest well-being for all of us, uh, I need to walk with the Lord. And the greater that I walk with the Lord, my interactions with you will be happier and healthier. The better I'm walking with the Lord, my counsel to those in need will be more scriptural, more God-honoring, God-like. My leadership in the church will be more God-focused than self-focused or, or directed. I've quoted this before, but Eugene Peterson one time said to his elders, when he reached a crisis in his ministry, was ready to quit because he was doing all this other stuff. He was doing a lot of administrative things. And he said, well, what do you want to do? The elder said, what do you want to do? And here's what his comment. He says, I want to study God's Word long and carefully so that when I stand before you and preach and teach, I'll be accurate. I want to pray slowly and lovingly so that my relationship with God will be inward and honest. And I want to be with you often and leisurely so that we can recognize each other as close companions on the way of the cross and be available for counsel and encouragement to each other. Essentially what he's saying is I want to pray, I want to study, and I want to live with you all. And I say, that's, that's what I want to do. And that's, I know my New Year's resolution is just to study and pray more and to be with you more. But as I do that, essentially it's a walk with the Lord that flows to you all. My message this morning is called A Call to Holiness. And I know I'm preaching to myself this morning. That's what I want and I need as your pastor. And I feel like I have much room to grow my relationship with the Lord. I see areas of deficiency. I see my lack. I want to grow. I want to take in God's Word more. I want to have a more fervent prayer life before Him. But let's not kid ourselves. You're here and I'm preaching to you, okay? I'm not... I'm not just preaching to myself. This is a call to you. I'm going to call you all to holiness in 2013. Now, by holiness, that's kind of an older word. I'm just meaning purity. I'm just meaning a, a, a simple walk with the Lord. I'm calling you for a, <clears throat> a walk with Him that's righteous. <clears throat> to have righteous behavior come out of your life. I'm calling you to, to live sacrificially in 2013. I'm calling you to give Christ your all. All in. That's what I'm calling you to do. And, and I do believe that the greatest thing that any of you can do for Rock Valley Bible Church in 2013 is pursue your own personal holiness, to use McShane's words. So think about it. If you're a husband 
and you're pursuing the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then what do you think it's going to have an impact on your wife? What kind of an impact is it going to have? I think she's going to be caught up in the, the, the vacuum. And she'll, she'll be sucked right up in there. She'll want to desire that as well. And, and wives, as you do that with the Lord, do you think it's going to have an effect upon your husband? I think it will have an impact. When your husband sees you pursuing God on a daily basis, really praying, really seeking Him, really responding rightly. And parents, do you think it has an impact on your children? I know it has an impact on your children. In fact, the more I see parenting, the more I understand, the more I interact with my kids, is that, is that my example does far more in the life of a family than anything else does. My teaching, my talking to them, my disciplining them. You know what? When it, when it's all the example. The example that I set will be for the most part, the example of my kids follow. Okay? Uh, you've heard, heard the saying that, um, you know, your words speak, your actions speak louder than words. That's just true. And, and I think that, so what, you want to influence your kids. I say, you seek the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your kids will see that and will be sucked into seeing that and desiring that life. So we understand in the family relation how that has. I think siblings, same thing as well. Is this the siblings see other siblings like uh, doing things? There's other examples there. And I've always thought, this has been my strategy, okay? I think it's worked. So then we're going to really hard on the first one. Okay, Krista. We're really hard on that first one because if we get that first one, what happens to the second one? It's going to come a little easier. And the third one's going to come a little easier. And the fourth one, as they see the example. Now, that's not always proved so true, okay? But it is true for the most part, okay? Chris is doing very well at uh, Jacksonville Bible College. In fact, so much so that, SR, where do you want to go to college? <laughs> he wants to at least spend one year in Jacksonville, Wyoming, right? He wants to spend one year where it's glorious. In fact, he's going to go visit them in January and just kind of get a taste of that place because it's been such a good year for Carissa. And kind of, we've got in our mind, if we can have it to pass, we're going to have them all spend that one year at Jackson Hole. Now, it may be a different place in 15 years when Steffi's ready to go, but um, we'll, we'll see. It's just because you get the first and the other follow. And so siblings have an influence upon one another as well. And Carissa, I just say, as you follow the Lord, as you have been, you come home and I've seen you reading your Bible. That's been very good. You'll have an influence upon your siblings. And I say also that helps the church as well, is that the way that each of you live will rub off on other people. And and particularly, I think it rubs off in this way. It rubs off in the priorities you set, the the things you do, um, the things you talk about, your love for one another's families. And, And other families watch and see what's going on. And if your family is going in a, in a good direction, in a Godward direction, then don't underestimate the influence that you all are going to have on each other. But if, if your family is going the other way and, and all you do is come on Sunday morning at a dusty Bible and just think about the bears all week long and uh, live for the world, spend all your time in secular entertainment and don't give a lick about God, you're not only going to influence your family, but you're going to influence other people of the church as well. You can influence this church for good or for bad. And uh, I guess my, my hope is that you would impact them for good. I mean, because we, we as a church, we aren't a church of like independent people. We are a church that is interconnected. Or we ought to be. If you're here today and you really feel like you're on the outs, well, do some things to get on the ins. Be at people's houses or invite them over to your house or to, to get, just get so that we can be interconnected so that we influence each other. And, and I'm hoping 2013 will be an influence for the good. My dream is for all of us to take my message. And desire it. See what the Lord would have his hand of blessing here upon us as a church. Well,
My text this morning is Romans chapter 12. I feel like I'm going out a little bit. Am I? Maybe you're, yeah, maybe you're changing the volume a little bit. So I'll just, I'll just leave this here like this. Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the first two verses. If you have a few Bible, page 126 of the New Testament. So that's, that's on the second half of the, the Bible, the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Uh, that's where we're going to park this morning. I, I had every plan this morning to preach both these verses. And I'm going to focus mostly on verse 1. And we'll just touch on verse 2, but next week we'll spend all of our time on verse 2, picking up a little bit from verse 1. Obviously, um, these are well-known verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Many of you probably memorized these verses. Um, I remember when I was a senior in college getting a hold of some Navigator memory cards and memorized these verses. Um, Maybe they're familiar to you, um, but I just hope the Lord grants us fresh insight on them this morning. Fundamentally, these verses are a pastoral call to give your whole self to the Lord. Uh, You can see the call there right there in the middle of verse 1. When he says of giving your whole self, he said, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. In other words, give yourself entirely to the Lord. That's that's the call here. It's a little bit like ham and eggs. Right? When ham and eggs is served for breakfast, there's a difference between the pig and the chicken. Right? The chicken contributed, but the ham gave himself all. And that's what we're calling. We're calling ourselves to be pigs today. Right? We're calling ourselves all in. A living sacrifice. You can see the pastoral edu- exhortation right there in uh, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you. Translated different ways. Some translations say, I beg you. Right? So, pastor, even I get on a knee and just say, church family, I beg you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. So Paul's doing. He's begging them, encouraging them, urging them, calling them. ESV says, I appeal to you. Just, just call. He's just saying, this is, this is what's best for you. This is what I'm calling you all to. And thus, the title of my message this morning, A Call to Holiness. It's a pleading, the Romans, Paul is, to live a dedicated, sanctified, sacrificial life. Notice also these words aren't for some far off people. Some ancient people he, he never knew. No, he's writing to well-known friends. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren. Paul knows these people. Paul loves these people. In fact, turn over to chapter 16 here in Romans. Very interesting. Chapter 16 is a, is a chapter that's just filled with names and greetings. He lists over 20 names. Of people here. He says, verse 1, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the Lord. Verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers. Verse 5, also greet the churches in their house, right? Greet Epineus, my beloved, as a first convert of Christ from Asia. Greet Mary. Verse 6. Greet Andronicus and Junius. Verse 7. My kinsmen and fellow prisoners. Verse 8. Ampelitus. Verse 9. Greet Urbanus and Stachus, my beloved. Verse 10. Greet Apelles and greet those in the household of Aristobulus. So not only is he greeting people, he's also greeting whole household. Aristobulus has got his home. He's got a church in his home. He's got people by him. Greet the whole household there. Everybody there. Greet 11. Herodian. 
And, and greet again, the, the household of Narcissus. Maybe this was multiple people coming, you know, generations coming. Like greet the Brandon family, right? My folks are back there. My wife's folks are right up here, right? Greet the whole Brandon family, all of them. He's just kind of swooping. He could have named them by names, probably. Uh, let's see, where are we? We're in verse 11. Greet Herodion. Verse 12. Tryphena and Tryphosa. And verse 12, greet Persis. Verse 13, greet Rufus. Verse 14. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Verse 15, greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Just, just greet these people. So... What he's saying when he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, he could have said, hey, I, I urge you, therefore, Phoebe and Prisca and Aquila and Epineus and Mary and Andronius and Julius, Junius and Ampelitus and Urbanus and Stichus and Apelius and Herodian and, and all these names. As easily as I could say, I urge you, Darcy and Dirk and Tim and Wendy and Bruce and T- Alan and just right on all the way. Right from Greg in the back, right to um, to Amanda, to Maggie, to Lynn, to Lola. Just, right, he's just saying, all, "I'm urging all of you, brethren, to do these things." It's a pastoral call to holiness. Now, notice also these come; these words are very endearing words. They're coming from love and care and concern and well-being for the people to whom he's writing. It's my heart as well. I'm preaching to you as my friends. Preaching to those whom I love. Not preaching to strangers. I want things to go well with you. And the way things go well with you, Romans 12, 1 and 2, is to follow this counsel. So no, church family, I have your good in mind as I, as I speak to you. Let, let, let's just pray. Father, I, I think of these words. They're well known. And God, only you can apply these words and sink them deep into our hearts. I pray by your grace you would do that. Um, God, do far more than even my words speak here. Dig deep into our hearts, oh God, to create in us a desire and a holy affection for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we can, we can dig here into our text. My first point here is God's mercy. God's mercy. It really starts from the first verse. first word of this verse begins with the word therefore. It's a word of conclusion. It's a word of inference. It's a conclu- word of climax. In light of all that was said before, therefore, this is true or, or act this way or behave this way. So it really calls us back. To say, okay, what's this climaxing? Because sometimes, therefore, can climax just the previous verse. Sometimes it can climax or infer several things from the previous chapter. Or in this case, I believe it's, it's the climax of the book. This is like the, the peak of the book. This is where everything turns. This is the grand exhortation of everything. It's right here that Paul turns from his, his doctrinal teaching which does have some commands. It's sprinkled throughout there too. It's primarily his exhortation after this. Right? His doctrine to his duty. His teaching to his application. And it's not quite totally that clean because he, does, he, can't, he can't exhort people without telling them theology. And he can't tell them theology without exhorting them. But in the main thing, this is, he's been teaching them about the wonders of the mercy of God. And now he's turning saying, this is the way that we ought to live. Some practical ways. In fact, Chapter 12, 30, 40, 15, and 16 are all really practical applications of everything from the first 11 chapters. And you need to catch this link. Paul even just doesn't just say, therefore, he identifies this link. He says in verse 1, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's a summary way of putting Romans chapter 1 through 11, the mercies of God. I mean, I haven't worked through Romans yet. We haven't taught through Romans yet. It's through a church. Um, but someday we will. But I think, that, I think that that might be a good phrase for it. Romans, the mercy of God. That's what it says here. 
I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then I think he connects them. It's by the mercies of God. If you miss the mercy, if you miss the riches of the mercy of God, you've missed the exhortation. So don't skip that. So don't say just therefore don't say I urge you present your bodies living and holy. He's not just saying, hey, I want you all to be holy. He's saying, no, no, no. In light of God's mercy, I want you to be holy. Because it follows. One follows from the other. The other. Because if you miss the riches of the mercy of God, the things I say today will come to you like God's commands on Sinai. Thunders loud, coming a storm so much so that the people said, no, Moses, you go and talk. We don't want anything to do with that. And you will run from these commandments. But if you catch the mercy of God, if you catch Romans chapters 1 through 11, then you will run towards these commandments. So I just say that that phrase by the mercy of God makes all the difference in the world. It's going to make all the difference about whether you're running towards them or running away from them. And of course, I want us to run towards them with all of our our might. Let's think about what God said, Romans 1 through 11. Let's just review it. We haven't spent years going through Romans, so we're going to go through Romans in about 10 minutes. Turn back to chapter 1, and we'll just turn forward through as we work through this. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, is where really the, the core of the mercies of God start. You know, when people think about God's disposition towards people, Generally, they think about how God is loving towards people. And, and there's truth in that. I mean, that's why God sent His Son into the world. Because He loved the world. And He loved the people in the world. He loved the sinners in the world. That's why He sent Him to be a peace child, to be a sacrifice for our sins. But, let me say this, there are plenty of people in the world with whom God is angry. And continues His anger. That's what verse 18 says. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. These are the people who walk in wickedness. These are the people who, verse 21, don't, don't honor God or give thanks to the Lord. <clears throat> These are those people who have, verse 23, rejected the glory of the incorruptible God. And these are the people who not only know that what they do is bad, verse 32, but they, they do the bad things and they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Have you ever noticed that those who are in sin try to get others engaged in their same sin to come and enjoy their pleasures with them, even though they know it's wrong and even though they know it's destructive? And when God looks upon such individuals, His disposition towards them is not love. His disposition towards them is anger. Because they have thwarted Him. And so what does God do to these people? He gives them over. Verse 24, God gave them over to the lust of the heart, to impurity. He says, you want your sin? Go ahead. Verse 26 says, He gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, they didn't see fit to acknowledge God. So God says, okay, if you're not going to acknowledge me, you just got your own mind. And that's where the world has gone. And in some regard, God's anger is toward all of us. Apart from Christ, he would be angry with us. He is because all have sinned and rebelled against the Lord. That's right. What chapter three says, right? Verse nine, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. What are we Jews better than they? Not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As is written, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. They have all turned aside. Together they become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Paul says this. He says, we all are sinners. We all are under sin. It matters not whether we are a Jew who's been entrusted with the oracles of God, chapter 3, verse 2, or we are Gentiles. We all know what is right and what is wrong. We have a, a conscience to know the difference between good and evil. And also God has put us in this wonderful biosphere that, that sustains life. And, and He's given us the heavens that declare the glory of God. And we know that He speaks to us through them. And we know His glory and all of us have turned aside. In fact, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we all have messed up. None of us is righteous before God. 
And that's the point of verses 19 and 20. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, particularly Jews, so that every mouth will be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law, no flesh should be justified in his sight. And through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We're going to try to work our way to God through the law. It's not going to work through the law. No flesh should be justified. It's a predicament of mankind. We're all sinners deserving the wrath of God. And, and, and what's going to save us from that? It's, it's only God. And God strikes, strikes through in verse 21 of chapter 3. But now, he says, we're all under sin. But now. We're, we're all condemned. But now. We're under the wrath of God. But now, rather than the wrath of God being revealed, now we see, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. These but now, this, these are the best words in the book of Romans. Just right here. But now, where everything changes. He, he paints the, the, the backdrop black, and now he begins to shine the light. And he's manifest his righteousness in Jesus Christ, verse 21. Apart from the law, his righteousness has been manifested. Even, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us here in this room, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we are the ones who are justified, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And there's the mercy of God. We deserve wrath. We deserve as hell. And he's given us the grace of justification. Justification means being declared just before God. Being declared righteous before God. Uh, I've heard it said before, justification. Just as if I never sinned. Now, it's, we, did, we have sinned, so that's not true. But it is in many ways. Just as if we lived the life of Jesus. That's what justification means. He, he has declared us righteous. Now, the biggest objection to God doing so is God's own justice and righteousness. I mean, see, God can't sweep, sweep sin underneath the carpet. It's, it's not like he can just um, say, oh, that's sin, that's bad. I'll just, you know, pick up the carpet and kind of sweep it under. He can't take his toys and stack them up in the closet, shut the closet door and say, hey, everything's looking okay, isn't it? Kids, maybe you tried that trick at home. God can't do that because he's got to thoroughly cleanse it. And every sin he has to punish. Otherwise, he's not a righteous God. And God did punish our sin. He punished it at the cross of Christ. Look at verse 25. Whom God displayed. This is Jesus Christ. We're justified through the redemption which is in Jesus. Whom God displayed publicly. <clears throat> that is, high upon a cross. In Jerusalem, 2,000 years ago, as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, right? He's got to be fair. He's got to be just. Because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. Previously, when Abraham sinned, He kind of put it underneath the carpet. When David sinned, He kind of swept it underneath the carpet. He hadn't dealt with it yet. But He dealt with it at the cross of Christ. He says, this demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. So he'd be just because he punished David's sin in Jesus and Abraham's sin in Jesus. And he could be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That is like the best news of all. We, God can forgive sin because he punished Jesus in our place. And this is where um, Muslims and Jews fundamentally are hoping that God will be unfair. God will be unfair and then he'll just kind of overlook their sin. That's what he's hoping. Or sin will outweigh the bad and the good like outweighs. He can't do that. Sin has got to be punished. Ran across an illustration this a couple of weeks ago. There's a man named Hayden Carlo. Lives in Plano, Texas. And he's down on his luck, if you will, struggling financially. He had a job, but his job wasn't really supporting his wife and his two kids very well. They're just kind of Kind of barely squeaking by. And uh, while driving his car one day, and this is just a few weeks ago, he, a cop pulled him over. And apparently he hadn't got the registration update sticker on his car. And uh, he's talking to the police officer. Hayden Carlo said this. He said, officer, there's no explanation for why I haven't completed the registration. But I don't have the money. 
It was either food, feed my kids or get this registration done. That's what he told the officer. And the excuse for the policeman wasn't good enough for him. Um, I don't know how at all, but he didn't, didn't let him off with a warning, didn't let off with anything. So he wrote a ticket to him, handed the ticket to the 25-year-old man, and then he, he drove off. And then Hayden Carlo opened the ticket. And you know what I saw in there? And you see this news story? What do you saw? A $100 bill was right there in the ticket. And he said, when I opened it and there's a $100 bill, I broke down in my car. With that money, he's able to pay the fine for his ticket and pay the $50 registration sticker to get that for his car. So think about it. The officer was just. He issued the ticket. And the officer also paid the price for the registration. That's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He's just and he died on the cross for our sins. He's a justifier because he gave us life in Christ Jesus. That's the mercies of God. In Jesus, God has punished him for our sins. In Jesus Christ, also, we have the $50. We give his righteous life. That's why verse 26 is so huge. He would be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. And I love how Hayden Carlo then summed up everything. He said, the police officer helped me out when I needed it, and I appreciate that. And I'll never forget that, man. How's he going to live? He's going to live in remembrance of this man. He's going to live remembering what he did. And, and that's what we live as Christians, right? By the mercies of God. God has been so merciful. We can never forget him. He paid a debt we could never pay. We, we could never pay. I owed a debt. I couldn't do that. But, but he, he paid this debt and he washed our sins away. We can never forget God. That's why we live for Him. That's why we present our bodies as a holy sacrifice. Because He's given His all for us as well. He helped us out when we needed it. We turn over to Romans chapter 5. Look how bad we needed it. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We were helpless. We were like poor Mr. Carlo and, and not enough money to, to go. Around. We, we, we didn't have any other resources, and that's when God came. It's when Christ died for us. Or verse 8. Though his wrath was against us, God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not only were we helpless, but we were, we were sinners. We were sinfully going our own way. Comparison there might be Mr. Carlo and the money that he got. He just, you know. Wasted on sinful living of some type. He put in the blanks what you think there. So it's not like he, he even has. He, was a, he even wasted the resources that he had. But even worse than that, verse 10. If while we're enemies we we're reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. We were enemies against God. Using our resources against him. That's when God loves us. And came in mercy when we were helpless and sinners and en enemies. That's the kindness of his grace. He's reconciled us to himself, declaring the sentence of death, the wrath of God, and yet paying that sentence of death through the blood of Jesus. That's why Paul can say in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, our sin causes us to... To die, and yet the free gift of life comes in Jesus Christ. That is, that is mercy. That's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the debt has been paid. There's no longer a, saying, a sign over us that says condemned. The wrath of God is upon us. We've got the sticker on the car. The policeman won't stop us for no registration. You say, well, how can I know this in my life? Chapter 10. Turn over to chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. 
So there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that amazing, right? We, we simply believe in our hearts, confess with our mouth, and we're saved from our sin. And we have the promise that we will not be disappointed in God. It's, it's not according to our works. It's not according to what we deserve. It's the sheer mercy of God that comes. That's God's mercy. By the way, I've taken you through what some people call the Romans road. I hope you see that. I was talking to someone this week doesn't know Jesus and just took him through these exact same verses. I said, let me just tell you what I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. Let me just kind of take you through some some verses in Romans and just went Romans 1, 18, the wrath of God, went to Romans 3 and see our sin and then went to Romans 5 and saw God demonstrates his love and Romans 6, how the wages of sin is death, forget to God's eternal life. Right? If you believe there's no condemnation there, how do you do it? It comes right down here to Romans 10, I held out this choice before him and I don't know where he is. But such are the mercies of God. And if you don't embrace these mercies, you're going to have no power to live a holy, holy life. You have no power to live pleasing to him until you can say what Paul says at the end of chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. Until you can say, oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Until you can say that, oh, the wisdom of God, oh, the, the mercy of God, oh, it is unfathomable. How can that be? Until you can reach that point, you won't be able to live a complete sacrifice to the Lord. A life of holiness is strengthened by the mercies of God. <clears throat> so let it flow. Let the mercies flow. We've seen God's mercy at second point, your body. The end of verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, pastoral, loving, call, by the mercies of God, here comes the... And in fact, even this application is like the, the peak application of everything, okay? To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. At this point, Paul brings in the Old Testament sacrifices. Now, they all, all varied in form. Um, there were lots of them. There's the, the burnt offerings. There's the peace offerings and the sin offerings and the guilt offerings. And sometimes these were waved with the smoke in the air. <clears throat> they had daily offerings. A lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. There were the yearly sacrifices, Yom Kippur. There were festival sacrifices, different things, dedicatory sacrifices, all, all different sorts of sacrifices. The animals varied. Bulls and sheep and goats and rams and pigeons and turtle doves. The way the animals were sacrificed was varied as well. Sometimes, like with the burnt offering, totally consumed, nothing left. Other times, some consumed and then the others given to the priest so they can eat it. But regardless of all these sacrifices, there, there, there were several things that were always constant. The custom was the same. People would come and bring an animal, present it to the priest. And... Um, Oftentimes, the priest would receive that animal for the sacrifice. I would suspect many times a hand was laid upon the animal and prayed, seeking forgiveness for that. And then the animal would be killed and burnt upon the altar. Death of animals for the sins of people. Death of animals for the sins of people. And here Paul then calls us to present our bodies as sacrifices. Sacrifices are normally dead things. Okay, so we have we have anomaly here, right? He, he he tells us to offer a living and holy sacrifice, right? The imagery is strange, right? Well, are we dead? Are we alive? Or how how is this? And though the imagery is strange, I, I think it's pretty easy to see that we who believe and trust in Christ Jesus, that He died for our sins, we ought to consider ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God, as Jesus clearly taught that there is a death in following Him. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Dying to self 
is what following Jesus is about. I think that's what's taking place here when he talks about a sacrifice, talking about a a death. When he talks about a living sacrifice, though, he talks about a a living death, if you will. You consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to righteousness. I mean, that's Paul in Romans. I think similar language is coming up here. How does he want us to live? He wants to live. He wants us to be holy. And he wants us in our our sacrifice to be acceptable to God. You you know, when, when sacrifices were offered in the Old Testament... You can read Leviticus 22 particularly, and it talks again and again about what kind of animal can be offered. If the animal is blind, it was not to be offered. If it was maimed, it was not to be offered. If one of its limbs were broken, it wasn't to be offered. If it had some kind of sore or eczema or scabs, it says don't offer that one. Let it be a perfect lamb, one without blemish. Even though that was given as a law in Leviticus 22, do you remember what happened in the times of Malachi? When presenting their offerings, they brought the lime and the blame, blame and the sick. They brought the sick one. They brought the defection, the, the, the lambs with defects. Why did they do that? It's the wise thing to do. <laughs> if you've got a blind sheep, no other good for that, might as well give it to God. And Malachi then says, with such an offering in your part, will he receive you kindly? And the obvious answer is no. And when it comes to Christian life, we need to present ourselves a holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God. Something that God will accept. Calls us to a a holy life and an obedient life. But again, I say, how is it that we live this obedient life? How is it that we, we do that? Well, it's, it's through the mercy of God that we even walk that way. <clears throat> They're full, the Scripture is full of connection between what, what God has done and how we live and respond. Many epistles, right? Just like Romans are cut down right in the middle. Like Ephesians, 1 through 3 are like doctrine. And then 4 through 6 are application. And then right there in the middle... I implore you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Three chapters of calling. And he said, walk worthy of that. And even the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And after mentioning that I am this God, he then says that you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The I am's come before the you shalls. And, and on a big picture, that's how the Bible always works. On a small picture, there's some verses that speak about that. 1 Peter 2.24, He Himself bore our sins and His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. 2 Corinthians 5.15, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. 1 John 4.19, We love because He first loved us. 1 John 4.11, If God so loved us, we ought then to love one another. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And what he's saying is here, God has been so merciful to you, just give your body completely to the Lord. It's, it's really it. Right? The, the, the greatest commandment, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. You, you, you've been redeemed. You've been, you've been forgiven. Therefore, just love completely. Give yourself entirely to the Lord. A sacrificial animal is given to the Lord as an act of worship. And so likewise, the way that we live can be an act of worship as well. Look, look there at the end of, of verse 1. He says, as we offer our bodies a, a living and acceptable sacrifice, it is your spiritual service of worship. You know, the times we think that, oh, when do you worship God? Well, when we come into this little building here, right, and we stand up and we sing songs. And that's when we worship. Well, yes, we do worship then, but there are plenty of other times we worship as well. We worship when we are are living our lives in a holy way, which God is pleased with. And this verse even tells us that whenever our bodies are being used in a righteous way, we are worshiping the Lord. And so really this morning, as I'm calling you to holiness, I'm really calling you to be a worshiper. Worship this merciful God has come to have mercy upon you. 
And as you present yourself holy to the Lord, you'll be worshiping every bit as much as that heavenly scene. The fighter verses, we memorized it this week. Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's what we're saying. When we give ourselves completely to the Lord, we're saying what Revelation 5 verse 13 says. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. As we just walk in the ways that God would, would have us to walk. And, you know, there's a way to have vain worship. If your life, you're living a life that's not pleasing to the Lord, your, your worship is in vain. Jesus spoke about vain worship to the Pharisees. He says, in vain do you worship me? They were singing his praise. They were giving money. They were doing the righteous act. But they weren't holy to the Lord. They weren't righteous and trusting in Christ. And it may be that your, your life cancels out your singing. So maybe even coming in this place to worship the Lord with your song, you may, you may not be worshiping the Lord at all. As your life isn't holy before the Lord. So at this point in my message, I'm thinking, like, okay, so what are some practical applications? Uh, how, what does it mean to, to give our bodies holy sack? What, what, what does that mean? And I really kind of scratched my head a little bit, thinking about it, talking with Yvonne a little bit. Like, what, what can we do here? Um, how, how, can you, how can you apply this? And uh, it really dawned on me that this picture of a living sacrifice is a picture of all Christian uh, application, a life of holiness. Um, this is the basic application of a life of follower in Christ. is to give everything to Him. And so you can take some things like the fruit of the Spirit and, and see how they relate, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you live that way, you are a living sacrifice. Because many of these things require dying to ourselves. To love one another means that you... You die to your own wants and desires. To have joy, you must die to your own expectations, which maybe aren't quite met. To have patience, you must die to your own time frame. To have gentleness, you must die to your way of doing things. To have self-control, you need to die to yourself. And I thought even well, we could go into Romans chapter 12 and look at like verses 9 and following. Just kind of speak a lot of the same thing. All these are manifestations of what it means to, to die to yourself and and we could go on and on and on, and we don't have that. But I think this is really a picture of all the application in 12 through 16. And I think we start getting a hint here in, in verse 2, which are the two categories which we'll really look at next week. A, a negative one and a positive one. Two commands. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you want to be a holy vessel? Then, then let's not let the world suck us into its ways. Don't be conformed to the world. The world's attitudes, let it not pervade our attitudes. The world's values, let it not affect our values. The world's goals, let it not affect our goals. Do you love the world? First John says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. Because all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. And I say this, if there are some issues in your life, and I'm just praying right now, the Holy Spirit would apply your issues wherever you are, whatever's happening. This is like a, an application, non-application application, I guess, all right? Wherever the Spirit's moving in all your hearts, wherever you're seeing yourself conform to the world. I'm just praying right now God would say, I need to change. You need to be different. Say, how do you do that? Well, the next phrase here, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reality here is that we need our mind to be constantly transformed and constantly refocused upon, upon God. You know, our, our minds, God word, are a little bit like a still pond in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a forest rather, that that is there and calm, you know, it's got algae growing and things like that. And, and then if you take a rock, what happens? You throw it in the middle and it whoosh, splashes and then it starts rippling out. And then what happens over time? What happens to the ripples? They calm out. And we need our minds to constantly be, we need pebbles and rocks to be thrown into there, to be stirring our minds righteously towards God's ways. 
because we forget. They lay out. So what it says, you can't don't think, oh, yeah, I I remember learning that when I was in Sunday school or, or I remember learning that like three years ago. Or I remember learning that we need to just constantly have God's word come and 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 stir our mind. That's why I encourage you to read your Bibles this year. Whatever plan you got, go ahead and read your plan. If you're looking for a default plan, I'd say read the McShane plan. That's kind of the default plan that I do. If you're looking for help, may read it together. SR and I have done that. We probably read a third of the Bible together maybe this year. Not, not everything together, but it really helps. Kind of get down and you sit down together and do it. Wouldn't it be wonderful by the end of 2013 if you read through the whole Bible? That would be renewing your mind. I would bet your life would be different if you read through the whole Scriptures. Or we need here to have your mind transformed. Memory as well. That's why I encourage you to memorize Scripture. Bury God's Word in your heart. Your Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're looking for a plan, we got a, a fighter verse plan. Uh, Tina's got some uh, uh, bookmarks out there on the outer table. These are the fighter verses that we're going to memorize this year. And I imagine the Brandon family will probably get to maybe two-thirds of these. You know, there are some weeks that are just too busy, we just we don't get to them. But we just say, well, we'll start again the next week. And so... I'm thinking this past year, some of these each week is a, a verse or two. Actually, this is looking more like two verses each week, sometimes more, sometimes less, usually more. I, I would bet there are close to 100 verses on here. Think about it. Memorize 100 verses for next year. Do it with your family. It's really fun. All I got to do is just say the verse out loud over and over and over again. How many times, guys, do we say the word out loud? 20 times, maybe? So I'm like, these guys are faster than I am. I need to go 20. They need to go like 10, and they're okay. And, uh, but memorize scriptures. Just, just put it in. If you've got another plan, go on your other plan. If you're looking for a plan, fight a verse plan. You want some accountability, come to prayer meeting. We go over them every, every week, just right at the beginning. Just, just why we do that? Because we need to have our mind influence. Because we need to have our mind remember because we so easily forget. Which leads us perfectly into the, the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate today. Because in the Lord's Supper is really a chance, again, just to remember the Lord and remember the, the cross of Christ. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a familiar passage. Obviously that we, we look at a lot. Every four to six weeks we celebrate the Lord's Supper at Rock Valley Bible Church. I want you just to even think about this, what Jesus says at that point. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right when he took that bread, he said, this is my body. He said, I I want you to do this remembering me. That's what this is about, is to remember Jesus in a way even that's distinct and different than other ways. I mean, how can you memorize? Well, you just you bring it up or you say things. But this is a way that he has given us a, a divine drama, if you will, to act out is to take this bread as he did on that last night before he was delivered over, before he was betrayed. He took that bread, do it remembrance. That's what we're doing. That's why we come to church every Sunday. You may may not hear a lot of new things at church. That's okay, but what what happens at church is you remember. And and we we constantly build up that remembrance, and that's what this is about. He says in verse 25, right, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this often you drink it in remembrance. Of me, right? We need to we need to remember the Lord in this way, is what he says. As often, verse twenty six, as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He says, I'm trusting in your death, O Lord, until you come. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. This is a serious thing. So we ought to do as verse twenty eight says, examine himself. In so doing, is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For you eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. He's not judged the body rightly. And judging your body rightly is just say, you know, am I trusting completely in Christ? Am I, is my righteousness there? Am I a living sacrifice? And where you fail, just confess that to the Lord. He, he's not looking for perfection until we get there. He's looking for a direction in the heart of a life that says, God, I, I just want to live pleasing to you. Help me and strengthen me in these things. And if that's where you are, that's where your heart is. Well, we're going to sing a song. You can reflect upon that. If that's where you are, take the bread, take the, the cup and drink it. 
that's not where you are, just let it pass. Better yet, cry out to the Lord right now. Repent for your sin. And then take the bread and, and drink of the cup. So let's pray and then Ryan will come up and lead us in a few songs as we do this. Lord, I would pray that we as a church would, would be holy people. Guys, this morning and next week is a call to holiness. I pray you'd even help us not to be conformed to the pattern of this world and how, how strong the world is. I think in many ways stronger now than ever before as we have more and more exposed to us um, in an instant. Help us to live different lives. Help us, O Lord, strengthen us to live lives transformed by you, with our minds transformed by the the power of your word. I, I pray you'd give us new resolves, new resolutions that by your grace you'd help us keep this year. And Father, as we think about the death of Jesus, who is, God, the epitome of mercy, as he came and died for those who hated him, even when being crucified on the cross, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they do. That, that is mercy. Pleading for your grace, I pray that, that that message would strike us again. Oh, the glories, the mystery of the, the mercy of God. As Ephesians 2 7 says, that in, that in the future to come, we'll be vessels of your grace, proclaiming forever of your mercy to us. Our existence in heaven is a testimony to your mercy. God, so help us to respond the only way that we can is, is all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength given completely to you. So be with us now as we celebrate the supper, as you've told us to. And we celebrate it thinking again of the cross of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.